Welcome to the Pharmacotherapy Podcast. My name is Jim Tisdale. I'm a professor in the College of Pharmacy at Purdue University and an adjunct professor in the School of Medicine at Indiana University. I also serve as one of the scientific editors for Pharmacotherapy. Today we are talking with Dr. Anastasia Armbruster about her team's paper entitled The Role of Inflammation in the Pathogenesis and Treatment of Arrhythmias. Dr. Armbruster is Associate Professor of Pharmacy Practice at the University of Health Sciences and Pharmacy in St. Louis and a cardiology clinical pharmacy specialist at Missouri Baptist Medical Center. Dr. Armbruster was recently recognized as a fellow by the American College of Cardiology. Dr. Armbruster, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Dr. Tisdale, for this opportunity to discuss this paper that was recently published in Pharmacotherapy. Well, in your paper, you discuss inflammatory markers that have been associated with atrial fibrillation. What is the proposed mechanism by which inflammation leads to atrial fibrillation? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, you know, as we were working on this paper, it's really interesting. There's there's so much information out there around this topic. And, you know, first thinking about disease states that are commonly associated with a high incidence of atrial fibrillation, you can see that you begin to associate it with inflammatory states such as pericarditis and after cardiac surgery. Um, So you see those mechanisms begin to associate there. But one specific proposed mechanism involves activation of the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system, um, which plays a role specifically in atrial remodeling, primarily through the downstream effects of angiotensin II and release of pro-inflammatory cytokines. And you know, I think there's a lot about atrial fibrillation that will continue to be explored, but um, that's probably the primary mechanism that will discuss drug therapy targeting. Well, is there any evidence that drug therapy targeting inflammation may prevent new onset atrial fibrillation? Just like many parts of this paper, I think there's some, and I think that's why this is an kind of interesting topic to look at. And, you know, there is the concept of upstream therapy, which actually has been endorsed by both major guidelines, um, American Heart Association, American College of Cardiology, and the European Society of Cardiology around atrial fibrillation that both ARBs and ACE inhibitors um, have been associated with a reduction in patients with LV dysfunction and left ventricular hypertrophy, as aldosterone is also linked to the development of atrial fibrosis mineral corticoid receptor antagonists, and most recently, finerenone has had some interesting data in this space um, with a reduction in new onset atrial fibrillation. So luckily, this isn't a stretch for most of our patients that those at risk of developing atrial fibrillation, particularly those with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, should receive these medications. So both of those guidelines, you know, have class 2B recommendations for patients with cardiovascular disease for primary prevention of atrial fibrillation, so for upstream therapy. And I think, you know, when we initially think of those drug classes, maybe we don't think anti-inflammatory properties, but when we think of atrial remodeling being a potential inflammatory fibrotic state, there really is an opportunity to potentially reduce new onset atrial fibrillation. Well, is there any evidence that anti-inflammatory drugs are effective for the management of atrial fibrillation? Yeah, I think specifically anti-inflammatory drugs, most um, success and data is going to revolve around procedures or specific disease states. So 
most success is following catheter ablation um, for atrial fibrillation, and that's going to include both colchicine and corticosteroids. Obviously, this procedure introduces an acute phase of inflammation, um, which is where using those targeted agents are most likely to be beneficial. But, you know, long-term use of corticosteroids to reduce um, or manage atrial fibrillation has, has not really been explored at this point. Well, many clinicians think of ischemia as the sole mechanism of ventricular arrhythmias occurring post-myocardial infarction. Does inflammation also contribute to post-MI ventricular arrhythmias? And if so, how does it do so? Yeah, definitely. We should continue to think of that as the most common mechanism um, related to ischemia. And this was a really interesting mechanism for our team to, to explore and write about. But there is a mechanism for scar tissue to form. And this form of VT is considered a reentry, a reentrant arrhythmia where electrical activity travels through circuits of healthy myocardium present in the scar, resulting in a malignant tachycardia. And that's really associated with sudden cardiac death. So if we think of inflammation forming during that cell death process, So not just related to the ischemic event itself, um, but really the inflammatory process occurring during myocardial infarctions. Um, So a little bit different than the typical mechanism we may think of. Can you describe the role of inflammation in the pathophysiology of arrhythmogenic cardiomyopathy? Yeah, and this is one where, you know, inflammation may not be present in every patient with AC. Um, However, it really seems to be present in those patients with a more severe form of the disease. And this has been seen in like postmortem exploration. And so the inflammatory response occurs when those fatty fibrous tissues are integrated into the myocardium. And that is really what becomes the the substrate likely for the ventricular arrhythmias. So again, just potentially there for the, the patients with more severe forms of the, of the disease. Not really something we included in the paper, but still identifying those patients where inflammation is more present, not really something described at this point. Uh, well, sarcoidosis is well known as an inflammatory syndrome, uh, and sarcoidosis can include cardiac involvement. What arrhythmias are associated with cardiac sarcoidosis? Sure. Certainly um, ventricular arrhythmias come to mind and then conduction abnormalities. So right bundle branch block, AV block, and then you'll still see atrial arrhythmias described in that space. Really, that's probably more due to um, developing LV dysfunction, um, causing atrial enlargement. Um, So really any, I guess the answer would be all of the above. But really, ventricular and conduction abnormalities. Um, but again, those patients will suffer from atrial fibrillation as well. And how effective is immunosuppressive therapy for managing arrhythmias in patients with cardiac sarcoidosis? Sure. I think when writing this paper, this was one of the, the places where there's actually um, a significant amount of data. Um, so immunosuppression with high-dose corticosteroids really considered first line for patients with sarcoid. Despite 
the lack of randomized trials. And I think a lot of times in cardiology, we're used to large randomized controlled trials. Certainly in this space, um, that is not something we're going to see. However, it's really the early treatment or early phase of this disease is where the benefit would likely occur. So once um, scar tissue has formed or the scar phase has occurred, patients are less likely to benefit from high-dose corticosteroids. So in the case series that are published and that we discuss in the paper, about 50% of patients improve from high-dose corticosteroids. And then you would move into a stepwise approach with therapy. Um, and ultimately, you know, patients would end up with uh, device therapy if progression occurs. Well, what are proposed mechanisms by which inflammation may contribute to lengthening of the QT interval? Yeah, I think this was also a really interesting mechanism. So, of course, typically we think of like a long QT, QT syndrome as a congenital condition, but there's mounting evidence that inflammation can cause QT prolongation by directly affecting cardiac myocyte currents or indirectly by augmenting the central nervous system. So inflammatory cytokines can directly inhibit those ion transport channels, um, negatively affecting cardiac action potential, which leads to QT prolongation. So specifically, TNF-alpha has been shown to inhibit specific channels. Um, And this comes from canine models, but the level of inhibition um, was concentration dependent and greater with longer incubation periods in those animal models. So showing how disease severity could proportionally impact QT prolongation. So really interesting when we think about, you know, inflammatory conditions and how that might affect QT prolongation in those patients. And is there evidence that pharmacotherapy targeting inflammation may shorten the QT interval and or reduce the risk of torsade point? Sure. So to date, there is preliminary data in patients, mostly rheumatoid arthritis and a few other inflammatory conditions, receiving anti-inflammatory medications like infliximab is one, did show reductions in the QT interval over a six-month time period. Um, And this has been shown with um, monoclonal antibodies as well. So currently, reduction in occurrence of torsades has, you know, not been associated or or published with that data, but already seeing the reduction in QT interval. And of course, it it would take some time to potentially associate a reduction in torsades, but certainly seeing the reduction in QT intervals with the administration of those agents in patients with inflammatory disease states is promising and, and very interesting with the mechanism that we just discussed. Well, the full article is published in the March 2022 issue of Pharmacotherapy, Dr. Armbruster, thank you for sharing this additional insight with us today. Thank you.